we are recording. Hi everyone and happy new year. And welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. <laughs> Christ, the year didn't even pass, I'm so tired. Hang on, hang on, compose. Welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. And we are your podcast producers for this term. Eliza's at home. I'm staying here in Cambridge. So we are here to give you Cambridge from home and Cambridge from Cambridge in a term where, sadly, everything has gone online. The beloved Mayball band Colonel Spanky's Love Ensemble putting it a lot better than we could. It really does feel like we ain't got no home. So we're hoping that amongst the Zoom fatigue, you can switch off and feel at home when you tune in to Switchboard. We're going to do our best to bring the Cambridge Prep queue to your listening ears. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 8 of Switchboard. Today we're going to be talking about LGBT History Month. I mean episode 8, that is insane. Sorry, that just hit me again, that is insane. Yeah, it's really crept up. (laughs) And yeah, so we are coming to the end of an amazing LGBTQ plus history month and Varsity has done some great stuff already, kind of highlighting different elements of queer history and life around Cambridge. So we thought that we'd bring our own little spin on that with a couple of really interesting interviews today. We have everything ranging from some very personal experiences to some cool events that are going on and also some reflections on the importance of having a month dedicated to exploring LGBT history. So I think they can speak better than us, so let's get started. First off, we have a fellow CAMFM show, which is CAMFM's Queer Hour. They talk every week on a range of queer issues currently happening in Cambridge. But over the past month, they've kind of changed their format to be looking at different histories. You guys started back in 2019. What was the scene like then? Uh, Well, for starters, there was no uh, weekly talk show about um, queer issues. I was going to say, obviously, there was a lot of stuff going on in person. Like when we started, we talk about lots about like events we've been to and talks and things. Not so much anymore, um, obviously. No, there've been we've we've actually been to a few talks very recently, just because of Queer History Month. Yeah, no, it's been picking up again. There was definitely not very much stuff when lockdown first started, but people have been sort of adapting to the new ways of doing things, and more events have been starting up. Yeah, people are now accepting that. We, we might have to do this for a while, so let's get good at it. Would you say that in general the Cambridge scene was stronger than at other universities? Well, it depends on how you like define it, because at least in my experience, it was strong in that in that it revolved around clubbing and like going out in some ways. That was like to me, it seemed that way. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff done through like student union, but to me, it felt at the time that a lot of the like well-known like Beanox were like you know you, you'd know of them through like going out which obviously isn't for everyone I was gonna say as someone who doesn't go into clubs um I 
I still think that the, I, I don't know about other universities, but I think that the LGBT scene is quite strong here in the sense that like, especially this, I would say the student union does a really good job at like organizing coffee meetings and events and talks and non-drinking things. And also actually my college, there's like been like a little, like they used to do um, pre's for Glitter Bomb, except for they didn't, there was no expectation of anyone going out afterwards. So why did you guys create Queer Hour? Where did it fit into the scene? Well, um, I sort of had a look at um, Camp FM and was like, hmm, there, there, are no, uh, there are no sort of shows right now dedicated to the LGBT plus community, um, you know, and there was already a bit of a precedent there because there were like quite a few shows about like women's issues and other things. So Camp, so Camp FM was definitely a place for these kind of, these kind of shows that go into, I guess, um, a community or an issue or kind of some sort of subsection of society and really like talk about that and give them a voice. And so I thought, well, why not, uh, why not get the monopoly on, uh, <laughs> on, on queer representation? You know, if you want to start up another show, that would be completely, uh, we'd, we'd encourage it. But right now we do have a monopoly. <laughs> But um, yeah, I kind of joined just because it was something different and it was, you know, a chance to talk about issues that really affected me in Cambridge, which was really, it's really fun because you don't really have anything like that specifically for Cambridge. That's not like, that's in like an audio way and, and not like just like text, you know? Yeah. One thing we would do um, when in person, and also we've done a bit on uh, while online, is uh, bringing on guests to talk about things. So they'd come on the show, uh, we'd know what we're talking about, we'd say, hey, we're gonna ask about these things. We'd run the questions by them beforehand just so they were comfortable with everything. And then they can talk about what they're doing specifically. So for example, uh, we had the two people from the Why Gender Neutral campaign talking about the importance of gender neutral language, which was really eye-opening for people who are gender non-conforming or non-binary who would want to just like not have to pick a box basically and, and see that around and feel like the space isn't really for them. So stuff like that was really, uh, I think that's what's been the best thing about doing the show. And do you think actually being able to hear those conversations rather than just kind of see like a, a written Facebook post or an article is, is better? Like, do you think that's part of why your show is so appealing? Yes, yes. I think um, generally there's been a trend recently with the sort of um, long form interview slash podcast uh, has, has grown in popularity, um, you know, and and as having a radio show, we can talk to someone for a while. You know, I guess um, if you don't include songs, it comes out to about 45 minutes or 40 minutes. That's a good amount of time for someone to go into what they're actually doing and not just not just do like the pop questions of like, you know, when did it start? How is it doing now? Okay, that's all we have time for. You know, it's, 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 it's a really good uh, medium to work mm. with. And like you've already said about how COVID has impacted and it sounds like you've managed to keep going with your show. On an individual level, being out of the, like, you know, physically out of the Cambridge um, queer community, how have you managed to stay connected? How have you felt during like the lockdown? I think maybe I feel less connected with the Cambridge community just because of like there's less people here but as like a larger like transnational kind of queer solidarity 
ish. I feel like because we've done a lot of research, like a lot of our stuff now is like personally researching stuff and presenting it back onto show, like things we found out, which I think, you know, gives us a bit of a more appreciation for like the history of the queer community or the LGBT community, whatever you want to identify with. And, you know, you have like a renewed kind of interest in what's happening around the world. Yeah. Especially, especially this month, we've been doing shows on queer history, but it's sort of things which people won't know as much about. So like we did sort of what did queer activism look like before Stonewall and like how was gay rights approached then? Because I saw that you'd done an episode on the lavender scare, which I personally had never heard of, but I was just reading about it and I was thinking like, why haven't we had any sort of coverage of that? It's interesting that you kind of only ever hear about posts like Stonewall. Actually, really, this this month as we've been going into historical topics, you've realised that there's so much history there that isn't being talked about enough. And actually, I think the queer community needs people sh- sharing the history in a more active way. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. Like, you know, in cultural histories get passed down from parents to children, but queer history, we have to teach that within our community. That's not something that automatically gets passed down in the process of families. And what do you think, I mean, Hira, you've already said that it's important to share the history within the community. Like, what do you think is the importance of specifically an LGBT history month? And how do you think people can continue it outside of that month? I think it's because there's not, there's, it's so hard to have like a recorded history because it's been actively suppressed by governments by groups by all sorts of people that we need lgbt history month so we can not forget as hero was saying and i think outside of lgbt history month it's as simple as just going on wikipedia and having a little bit of a binge every so often or looking up like activist groups that will have histories on like maybe old websites like there's a website i looked at i think it's called gay in the 80s which is just loads and loads of archival for like documents or someone talking about their personal experience of being gay in Britain in the 80s and like things that were happening at the time so there's a lot of resources out there you just have to like find it. LGBT History Month also has a lot of importance outside of the community like in the wider world or I guess the country because it's specifically UK LGBT History Month in the sense that you know this is stuff needs to be talked about in schools it needs to be maybe not necessarily to the same kind of depth but people need to be talking about it and it's really good that there is a month where people are thinking about it and going oh we should be we should be making an effort to spread this to the wider the wider world and also I think now even though it's a little bit like still on the nose like COVID is happening which is a pandemic and AIDS also was a pandemic that affected the LGBT community immensely and you know it's something that's kind of been forgotten about as a pandemic and even it's still a pandemic today for people who live in the global south I think you know we can talk about why you know certain things that affect communities are erased even though they are they killers of many many people I think you know there's unfortunate parallels to be drawn like or questions to be raised as to why there's not as much talk about it in education on history as there probably will be for COVID in the future and like what happened and how it changed the world. Is there any changes that you would like to see um, 
from like the student union or are there any kind of groups that you'd like to promote that other students can join? Uh, so one thing, little thing, when they, when they um, hoist a, an, an LGBT flag, can they do it for the whole month, please? <laughs> I remember the Clare College last year. Did you guys read about that? With Porter chasing a student who'd like managed to break up there to put it up. We Yes, we, we reported on this. <laughs> I think there's two things. Like one is that, you know, flags are great, but you need to also do things with your flag. Like it's all well and good if a college raises, raises a flag, but do they do things for their students? That's the thing. Like currently in Sydney, we're having a bit of a discussion. Well, I'm from Sydney, but, but yeah, uh, we're having a discussion about like what can, <laughs> thank you, what college can do to actually support people instead of just like, oh, well, look, we put a flag up for two days, stop complaining when there's been incidents like Sydney Sussex hosted Christian Concern in 2017, which is a CAD conversion, which promotes conversion therapy. But the second thing also, like I think um, Spotlight like fusing the BME LGBT plus campaign, because I think a lot of times with LGBT History Month, there's kind of a sense of like, it just happened. There's less like intersectionality done with it. So I think it's really important we center like voices of color in our conversations about how to better support people in the LGBT community. I guess in terms of intersectionality, actually intersectionality in lots of senses would be something which I still think the, the LGBT community in Cambridge could work on, like intersectionality, class-based, disability, all of these things I think could be ways that, well, I was not going to, Louis had already said that, but yes, that that's, yes. So all of these things I think could be ways that the community could could work together. And the university, I mean, there are still things that the university should be doing, like, changing um paperwork and dress codes and it's all a lot of small things which sort of add up to be a bigger culture yeah like i mean i read history but we've had a lot more kind of black british history and lgbtq plus history put on the curriculum there's definitely like a push at least in my tripods and in the university actually talking about making like curriculums more um diverse this also applies to the science curriculums like and the science departments also need to be doing things and I, I see things actually within my own department where people are really trying and you see things in the museums where they're sort of finding queer history within the sciences and telling the stories of queer scientists with, from the department previously and things like that and I think that's something that even in places where it doesn't seem obvious that queer queerness is relevant it is and it should still be being like brought up I think it it boils down to whether or not it's taught in schools because you think everything up to up to year nine that's for history everyone is taught and you know some people will read more on their own time and some people won't so that's if if we're talking on the on the bigger on the wider uh, scale I think there needs to be more sort of minority based history taught up to year nine. So for like students listening who just want to get to know more about queer history, they can obviously listen to the three shows that you guys have coming out. Where else would you advise them to look within this month and here on out? Um, so uh, a lot of, there are quite a lot of online talks that are happening. And um, there's there's a nice term card that the student union has put together, which has all the ones different colleges doing listed. So have a look at that if you want them sort of summarised in a neat place. I'd also just say 
just search on the internet. It sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but there's that's always a good place to start. And there are so many different resources and websites out there. I couldn't possibly list them all. And even just starting on Wikipedia and then following the sources and seeing what you find, like there's so much information out there. Also, if you just want to know about like stuff going on in the LGBT community, Pink News is a source that you can use, which is done for like the UK. Disclaimer, it has a little bit of like sensationalized stories about celebrities, which is a bit like gross, but like they're reporting on like um like like current affairs and interests that's actually like relevant to the community is actually quite good, I'd say. And there's also just some good podcasts as well. Uh like I've been listening to what's it called? I think it's called Queer in America, which is like American LGBTQ plus history. There's all sorts of stuff you can find. Now that we've heard a little bit about the roots of LGBT History Month and looked into the past, now let's focus a little bit on the present with Elliot, who is Medwitz's first trans officer. So providing some really new, providing some really interesting insights on all female colleges and what it's like being trans in Cambridge. Hiya, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Elliot. I am a third year English student at Murray Edwards College. I was previously the LGBT officer last year on the JCR and now I am the specific transgender and non officer. Amazing. So we're just going to start off with a super, super broad question. What's your experience been like within both as a kind of member of the LGBT community in Cambridge and with that community in Cambridge? Interesting because I think I knew that when I wanted to go to uni that was when I kind of wanted to transition and more socially come out I guess like I was out in sick form but it's kind of the fresh start idea and I knew that I wanted to kind of start transitioning and get into that so it made it very interesting to be pulled summer pool to a women's college that was a bit of a I, I want to say like wrenching the works, but not really because I just kind of did it anyway. Um, I think Cambridge is great for kind of being gay and there's lots of kind of queer support here. Lots of the work that kind of KUSU are doing and the kind of community. It's yeah. kind of interesting the difference between college versus how different your college makes it, I guess. Well, exactly. And leading on from that, you pretty much founded this position, as far as I'm aware, at Medwards of trans and non-binary officer which is amazing it's something that's kind of I definitely heard about kind of when it happened or something really amazing kind of do you want to talk about that a little bit how that came to be and what you kind of see your role as being so ever since I was LGBT officer I knew that a lot of the work that I wanted to do was kind of focused on practical support for trans students because a kind of like fact of these colleges is that there are trans students here while it is marketed as a women's college, there are students who might apply here and start transitioning or figuring things out. There might be, because of the pool system, we get a lot of pooled applicants. So a lot of the time, it might be that people have to choose between their kind of gender identity and like a Cambridge offer that they've worked so hard towards. So I think also Medwards was the first to accept trans women without needing a without the kind of recognition legally, like any self-defining women who want to um, either move over or apply. We were the first, I believe we were the first college to actually get that and um, define that, which is great. But it's kind of 
also like a lot of our stuff with Medwoods is on a case by case basis. And it's kind of the fact of like, we can see that there's trans students here and that's not really something we can kind of mandate out or like we need to support them. And so a lot of the work that I've been trying to do has been about how can we best support them in something that's kind of structurally opposed or different to them. So when we, when Medwoods was founded, I believe it was founded because there was that kind of historical underrepresentation of women and like them being kind of oppressed from workplaces and opportunities and things like that. And if for Medwoods, it seems that it was kind of founded with these like radical ideas of being able to help with like gender expression and giving opportunities and in 2020 I think if we want to kind of stay true to that like ethos of wanting to be kind of progressive and helping people in need regarding gender I can't think of another group who need it more than kind of the trans community right now especially with kind of media circus everyone I started doing stuff as LGBT officer, things like getting the flag flown for trans days, like Trans Day of Remembrance and Visibility. I set up the Gender Expression Fund. I've been in an ongoing battle about gender neutral toilets. (laughs) But I realised that, like, I'm only one person and it can come at the expense almost of having fun, like, gay events or, like, parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. So especially with it being a gendered institution, I thought it's really good to have a specific trans and non-binary role, especially as someone who self-defines, so that it's the kind of two-pronged approach of being able to give advice and the kind of port of call to people who want to come out so they can get advice and like community support practically. But we can also kind of continue the work because the kind of fact of JCR activism, I guess, is that it's kind of burnout because we're all students just trying our best. And that kind of cycle of is a new officer and they have to start getting acquainted with how everything works, etc. That can mean that like the pedal pressure for like long-term things can kind of start to drop. So basically like by having a specific trans and non-binary officer, it's been really great to have someone who can kind of, not that the LGBT officer is like only there to like do fun parties, <laughs> but it's that kind of more fun, um, that kind of specific to trans needs, especially in a gendered institution where it kind of needs that focus no completely and I think I think you're right there is there are so many different elements to making people feel welcome and part of those practical and part of those are social kind of talking going kind of a little bit more depth about gendered institutions within like you said that that are kind of that were founded in a progressive sphere and that now obviously it's a case of whether there's always called into question, right? We always see it in the press, kind of like, what all girls, what, what does it mean to be in an all girls college these days? And bringing in that, that trans perspective, like you said, it's on a personal level, but also I think on an institutional level, it can be quite, quite jarring to kind of have a very clear example of kind of a, a really cis-normative system that we just see in our university. So do you have any thoughts kind of more generally about all girls colleges and where their future is within Cambridge? I think it's a tricky one because I definitely understand and consider that it is a kind of opportunity to kind of have more people, more women in college and have more representation. But I think it also is really important that the slack of that isn't just taken up by women's colleges for representation. Like, I think that and also on a kind of intersectional level, that it's important that we're not only kind of representing women, but we're representing people from working classes, people, different races, given different opportunities. Because 
it could be incredible like having a women's college but if everyone is like the most kind of not that this is the case but if that's like the most upper class really high up thing then it, I don't know how progressive that is As, if, because everything about this is kind of personal opinion and it's an interesting one because a lot of the ideas around it come to these ideas of kind of taking up space in a way of like thinking about well if you don't identify as a woman or if you aren't a woman there's lots of people who aren't women in a women's college and that's kind of a fact and it's something that I think needs to be protected and I guess just thinking sensitively about this kind of debate between erasure of a women's college identity and celebrating people here who do identify as women versus realizing the kind of very tangible reality that this probably like this isn't a new thing this is like for years of life we're not like trans people who have just come in and ruined everything from its get-go like trans people have existed which means the idea of it being such a binary kind of outreach thing is right there also thinking about this kind of taking up space idea i guess is that a lot of people will come here and even if they like want to transition or they feel medwoods is kind of quite a friendly space and a lot of people kind of put down roots here like they'll get settled they'll make friends they'll know all their academic supervisors so it can be tricky to just be like well if you're not a woman then get out that's so much improving of things there's also particularly in the media right now it can be difficult with this kind of notion kind of transitionary radical feminist ideas of reducing things down to sex rather than gender and it being really important to recognize that these colleges could have the potential to be very much a kind of line with turf ideals and kind of bioessentialism of what makes a woman and yeah and i guess that's why we really need to i think it's difficult with kind of future women's colleges realizing that like i'm not going to kind of dismantle these ideas on my own i'm just here to get a degree and try my best so if i can't do that then i can at least like practically support people who are here and try to make it better to live with rather than getting super into the structure ideas of it i mean like you said we're all students and i think that it tends to be this idea that the jcr has the power to like uproot and change everything to do with the system that's been implemented for decades and that's i wish <laughs> like, literally that's 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 just um, unfortunately not how the world works but i think it's really kind of amazing that we get to have these conversations especially obviously now kind of like you said with everything going on in the media and i think lgbt history month is a great time to kind of have these conversations and open it up to a wider platform so just to kind of round things up i'm putting you on the spot here how do you think you're going to be celebrating lgbtq plus history month from home i'm not in home i'm in medwoods so i returned a lot of the work i do like academically is very kind of queer academia and i'm still kind of reminiscing on one of my favorite theater productions morris was a year ago in a few days <laughs> which is still weird so i guess um thinking about kind of people who have come before me i recently did on the medwoods library twitter kind of shouting out some uh, good books and things for recommendations but yeah i guess just kind of getting involved like academia wise looking at history just enjoying it i guess and i think we're flying the flag as well um, on the last day. So that's always fun. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to us. Thank you. After hearing some really amazing insights from Elliot, we are now moving into the future. 
with an absolutely hilarious interview with Just About Coping, which is an amazing virtual drag event that is happening tomorrow on Saturday, the 27th of February. Eliza and I were lucky enough to sit down and chat with them about all things drag and why you should go watch their amazing show. That's how we spent our Monday morning this week. Oh, it was on Monday morning as well. It was brilliant. To give you all an insight into the chaos and the wonder of this drag brunch, we're just going to drop you straight into the middle of a conversation about wearing your dressing gown to a radio interview. <laughs> it's never you've got to be slightly offended when someone's like, yeah, no, you'd be great for radio. No, but then they always try to call I me mean, like, you have a sexy voice and it's just like, just call me butters, please. <laughs> Like, I'm also thinking like I haven't worn my dressing gown to every single video call I've ever had <laughs> but you know I'm like oh, I mean, oh yeah this I, is a one-off it's absolutely not my outfit is very much I have a drag brunch at 11 and a faculty meeting at 10 well, well. <laughs> oh she goes back in time for the faculty meeting I stand that so hard what are you wearing Stephanie? Uh, well I, just, look, I feel like Helena Look at this sexiness. Oh, you know what I mean? Uh, of chest. Ryan, how chaotic are you looking this morning? I'm not answering that question. Are you still in the toilet? No, no, no. Ryan is still on the toilet. I had to do a work call when I was working from home for my internship. No, it was, but like my friend was also on a work call and the only place that I could go that was quiet was her toilet and I didn't realise the video would come on and it was just me sitting on the toilet. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 I just need some quiet space. No, to be oh fair, my mum and uncle call having a <laughs> sending an email. So like one Christmas, they were like doing it because like, you know when you adults get drunk and they're like, this is so funny and it's like, guys, this is so embarrassing. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at least I just like vomit in the downstairs loo. Like, you know, there's some, have some class and dignity. Yeah, be normal. Like, yeah, wow. and my grandma was like, wow, people are sending a lot of emails today. Not that anyone else, but I'm wearing my coordinated earrings with my purple oh. necklace. No one asked. I appreciate your Polly Noor t shirt, Elise. I enjoy it. I appreciate it too. Thank you. I have to, I'm not even being paid for this, although I should. I got her, um, if you want some fun, I got her like press on tattoos excellent like 10 out of 10 although one stayed on for like a bit too too long and i had like a really awkward walk date and they're like wow you said you didn't have tattoos and now you have one and i was like yeah i got one in like, and i was like i didn't i didn't want to say like no I, it's a fake one <laughs> yeah so sean from bristol asks i'm i'm tied up is this interview very much going to be like our meeting on Saturday where we spent the first half an hour just discussing what biscuits we were? Uh, oh, I had no, this was, that was a very valid icebreaker and it was very interesting, like how much lack of taste you all had and I started pondering why I booked you all in the first place. First things first, beyond the, the, the chaos, do you want to go around and like say who you are? Kind of like introduce yourself a little bit so that we can people can look you up and see your your beautiful faces beyond the radio. No one wants to look at our faces. <laughs> no, 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 it's just just the faces. Okay, well, I'll start. Hi, my name is Nick in drag. I am Persephone, and you can find me on Instagram at Sad Persephone. I am like an amalgamation. I think that's the word. I went to Angley Ruskin. I do apologize. Of like <laughs> ugly beauty. 
We love to laugh at it. It's brilliant. So yes, sexy clown here. Thank you. I love that. I don't like <laughs> it, but it's who I am. <laughs> Some people are just sexy, you know, and I haven't worked that bit out yet for you. <laughs> you really haven't. <laughs> Shall I go next? Yeah. So I'm Alfie in drag. I am powdered sugar. Follow me on Instagram at Collins Brand Powdered Sugar. I know it's an incredibly long name and it's basically just me unfortunately declaring that I am related to Charlene Collins as a warning for you all. My drag is very much gender fluid dumpster fire with a snazaroo brand deal. Ooh. I do not know how to do actual makeup, so I use face paints and I'm basically like a children's entertainer on acid. I'm not booking you for that. <laughs> Calling the cops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Helena, my drag name is King Hobron, spell H-O-B-E-R-O-N, and you can find me on Instagram under that name. I started out doing drag king acts and makeup and then went into dry clean and then went into in between and now I do all of the above as I kind of tend to describe it you can find me doing parody spoken word not parody spoken word about homophobia throwing dildos around <laughs> making meaningful pieces about lesbian love you name it I'll do it for money so that's that's King Hoberon have you considered throwing dildos around during your spoken word about homophobia? Is it like catching a bouquet, but it's a dildo, you're like throwing the dildo around like you're catching a bouquet at a wedding? I wish my hand-eye coordination was good enough for that. It's more like I accidentally throw it too far into the audience and the stage manager gets angry at me because it's a health and safety risk. Honestly, I would love to throw a bouquet of dildos and like knock my nan over. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> drag time just brings you all of the health and safety nightmares. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no, no, Ryan, do you <laughs> Hello, my Hello. name is Brian. In drag, I am Charlene at Queen Charlene Collins on Instagram. And I am a waste of space in Poundland makeup. I guess you could define my drag character as kind of like Medea in EastEnders. That's the vibe I'm going for. She's oh, incredibly God. tragic. She's quite disgusting. How long she did it take you to think that? You know, in the group chats, we'll sometimes get a message from Ryan going, oh, I just got my wig out and it's still crusty. And <laughs> this happens once every three months or so. And it's... we just have to say to her, wash them. I've never washed a wig. That The crust was due to an unfortunate incident during last time's drag time show when I poured a bucket of homemade slime over myself, flooded the stage and threw up in the dressing room. That is genuinely, that story has been told so many times by so many different people. Slimegate <laughs> is a legend. But do they exaggerate it? Are they like, Ryan then like, in a bucket and like, said Never something? Rated the USSR, something like that, you know, everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm very much still in therapy for how it felt to be in the wings about to go on for my slow burlesque striptease number to see Ryan pouring slime all over the stage knowing that my poor little ballet shoes were about to go on and face that yeah we saw Hobram walk on afterwards and I was watching from the live stream and they slipped but did like a somersault so it really cool anyway yeah, that <laughs> happened that happened so yeah yeah I did I did 
I still think it was art, and I don't care what anyone else is going to try and tell me. I think so too. I remember Liam made like a f- um, Instagram story being like, "Drag is art." Like Persephone and that pig, Charlene and that f- slime gate, and like it was just. I, we, I felt validated. My ADHD ass was like watching this, and I read like one comment like on Twitter, which was completely unrelated. And I was like, you know what? I fucking like when drags punk. I love it when people throw up backstage, and like, it is, it is really an important part, like, of drag, definitely. And I think for my drag experience, it's definitely been there from the start. So I auditioned originally in my first year when I was 18. Oh yeah, my name's Mary Dragdalen, Aaliyah Bates, out of drag. And on Instagram, my handle is at Eglia, so E-G-G-L-I-Y-A-H, which I will change. I want to call myself yet. In fact, I actually can't take credit for Mary Dragdalen. My ex came up with it, which is very embarrassing, I know. But I was saying, you know, I really want a name that kind of encapsulates how I've come to find drag and like what it means for me. I went to a Catholic school for most of my education, despite not being Catholic and coming from like a, a Muslim or atheist family. And my boyfriend at the time was like, why don't you call yourself Mary Dragdalen? Because you love Mary Magdalene, all this stuff. But credit where credit is due. And yeah, so I joined when my, this is such a tenuous link, my LGBT college parents' dad's boyfriend was one of the people who started drag time. And he was like, come along to the audition. I had like nothing prepared, no idea what I was gonna do. And I played this like Catholic school girl who discovered all these drag queens and performers. Drag time like definitely had punk roots in terms of, I remember we were performing at a May ball and like a few of the organizers whom I will not name had dropped. And because they were sweating so much from like the ecstasy, they short wired the keyboard and all the sounds were like gone. They managed to fix it, but we had to play it off our phones. But it was like the most, it was so applauded. Everyone loved it. It was great. It was at King's Affair. But yeah, I think messiness is definitely part of it because like <laughs> happens. I don't know if that answered your question. Like, no, it does. It's about being authentic and we love that. <laughs> mm. True authentic self. It's actually quite authentic for Leah to do that, especially for a fake ass you know (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the day i'm on radio and you can't see my face either way so tell us about just about coping this is do do your plug do your your advertising what's it about how did it come out why are we here are you ready for the most average based story for all of lockdown yes Yes. Um, (laughs) love that so like it was i think so obviously it's only been a year since lockdown started r.i.p and I remember being in the Judd Time group and stuff and talking with some of my close sisters and brothers and they thems. We're just talking about how to adapt to this new form of performance because not everything's online, everyone's streaming. And I only just gotten used to walking in heels pretty well. And now I don't even remember what they feel like. So I did a few Instagram lives with Charlene and uh, Velvet Caviar and a few little bits and bobs around, but nothing was like filling the void. So I think it got to Christmas and I was like, oh, this is fun. I love Christmas. And then it was January and I went, oh, that was fun. Now what? (laughs) And I was sensing a lack of fulfillment in my life. And I was going down this very deep path of waking up every day at a bad time, checking my Animal Crossing island, getting all my fossils, selling them. And that was it. That was my day. And that was just pathetic. So I tweeted out, I said, I've had enough. I'm doing a digital drag show. I have to do one. And sadly, Helena replied something like, oh, can I be in it? 
and it was public, so I had to go, okay. <laughs> Wasn't it me who begged first? Oh, it was you. I forget that you exist sometimes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, but yeah, it, it was so nice to have, I mean, two people immediately just jump forward and be like, oh, can I join too? And in a sense, I kind of got a vibe, especially from Helena, that we were both kind of just like, oh, we've graduated, we're trying to do drag and we aren't getting any luck in this industry right now because it, it's sad to say, but like ever since Drag Race UK especially, the same three, four, five performers are getting booked like tenfold you know people can rely on these performers to do decent digital content and the main companies like to pick the same queens and kings and you know so it's very much like a losing battle but i feel like with this show we have a chance to kind of just showcase something that's raw fun passionate like i don't want people walking into this going oh i can't wait for some solid polished drag entertainment no 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 First off, I, I say we put we put passion over the fashion. Okay, that's what's going to happen. And we're going to have a great time doing it and make sure that everyone's included. Asking around for some more performers, I was so lucky to have Aaliyah, Mary Jettelim, who is, who's been um, my sister for about three minutes. Love you very much. Love you. Um, and also Charlotte Colmine. Uh, sorry, Charlene <laughs> Collins, who was like my last resort performer. So that was nice to have her there. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to respond. I know that I was brought on as a replacement, Nick. Like, <laughs> no, because I asked, I asked you and Velvet first, and you were like, oh, I'm busy. So don't give me that <laughs> all right? Now go on. I had such a great time, um, I will, yesterday, where I was making memes for promo, and then remembered people have actually bought tickets to this, so we've earned money. So that was me doing actual legitimate paid work. It was yeah. such a beautiful moment. Yeah. Then me making those memes, I was like, oh my God, I'm being paid to edit our faces onto the Mamma Mia cast. And I, I hate to say it because like, I've been doing drag personally for like three, four years now. And I, I still get such a rush. Like, I think I, I've maybe created my own show about twice before, but this one is my first online show. And we've got about, what, 65 people coming at least right now. And we could get to 100 quite easily. It's pretty bloody good. So this show was born out of the anxiety of not being able to perform again for the foreseeable future. And the show is technically about just coping. I think that's what we're all doing. And I think we all do it in different ways. Some people like to do a lip sync. Some people like to lip sync to the fear while their house falls down behind them. <laughs> and that's fine. My acts were put together before I was even invited. Yeah, but you like have a love for drag. I have like a begrudged appreciation for it at this point. I think it's because yeah. I'm still a baby. It's like, a I still have enthusiasm about this as like a concept. <laughs> All of you. I guess on that, for students who want to get involved with drag, like it's obviously so much harder now that it's all online. Like, how would you suggest that they get involved now? Oh, like how I started anyway was just messing around in my bedroom like I think that is such an important part of bring what you want to do and um what you want to take out to the world which is not to say that you have to make it really polished and I don't necessarily mean just like messing around and trying out different things and that was what I did for a good year before I even knew drag time existed and like had even thought about ever performing <clears throat> drag and obviously 
that doesn't replace performing the past year has shown that there are a lot of avenues for doing that online and making it happen if you want to make it happen like we've put this together very much in a grassroots sense and from just kind of doing it like there is no more science or finesse to it than that and other than that literally start trying out like what drag maybe means to you amen <laughs> yeah i very much i very much can relate to how that like in that i've kind of been doing drag even longer than charlene has yet i've only really been getting out into like showcasing my drag since like the first lockdown and i'm i do very much think that for people who want to get involved in drag it's very much a case of just creating a space for yourself and for your art it's not necessarily becoming the next rue girl or the next dragula super monster it's about creating a space for art that you're not necessarily seeing in other people's work and creating that art and that space for yourself and if that is limited to just posting the odd thing on Instagram that gets two likes and nothing else, or if it becomes global, I think those are equally valid pathways into drag. And yeah, I've very much just creating space for yourself. I think that's so true. I think, and like Alfie and Helena have said, Drag often starts, I think, within the bedroom because it's that private sphere where you feel comfortable and you're not afraid to get things wrong. When you're away from eyes, there is an odd freedom about it because it's not about expectations. It's literally about you experimenting, seeing how certain things look on your face, on your bone structure, sort of what kind of images and symbols you want to use to express yourself and what kind of space you want to take up. And if you're a student at university, and there isn't a drag society or something, maybe consider starting it, maybe consider, you know, you don't have to take it on your own, but I think you'd be surprised at how many, A, like-minded people there are in terms of how many people want to have that outlet and want to have that space and shared kind of community where you can, you know, send makeup tips or, you know, ask for advice or send things if you want like a second pair of hands or ask like the amount of times that I would be that annoying bitch who was like, can someone please edit a track for me? Because I don't know how to do that. Like it's actually so, and I love that get that give and take, especially as you get older, because I've been doing drag now for four or five years and, you know, shifting with the roles as well, but you're still always learning. And one of the great things is that it doesn't matter how, you know, like, you know, with chosen family, it doesn't matter, you know, that it was like, for me, it was my LGBT college dad's boyfriend because we're like best friends now. I think there's something special about, queer communities where we know like you're safe here you know and that's not to say that it won't be difficult or hard because I think actually doing drag you know people don't necessarily talk about all the different ways in which you're vulnerable while doing it and how to you know not be afraid of being wrong how to stay true to yourself in terms of you know learning and growing but also not losing sight of like what you want from drag and what you want to put out into the world but yeah I think digital drag it's like tricky it's different but i don't think it's impossible it's definitely not you know when there's a will there's a way and there's so many new skills you can learn so many you know different things that you can try out and i think there is it's there's still a form of there's still a way of like versatility with it it's annoying that we can't be in person and it's frustrating to see how hard a hit this industry has taken 
and the communities like involved and people have touched upon you know the same queens being hired and how that changes like the market in terms of you know if they're pay- shelling out x amount for these like big name queens they won't have the money to hire other queens but don't let that like get to you or bother you you know you've made money with this show which is amazing but for me it's been like I quit my job not to do this but I quit my job because I was really struggling it was a very toxic environment and I was like my parents were like you know what like you're at home why don't you you know you saved up some money why don't you like have like a belated gap year indoors but it's actually been really lovely like working on the show and having like especially as someone with ADHD I always had it in my head like the nine to five like I struggle with it like I took medication that I didn't really like and like messed with my body and I found it wasn't nearly creative enough and I felt like such a twat saying that even being like I want to do creative stuff and it's like you know you have to like people do jobs they don't want all the time but there has been you know for better or worse the situation we're in is the situation we're in and now I spend all my free time editing trailers and doing this stuff and I didn't have a plan with drag but it was something I think we detach often from our love of artistic pursuits and it's been very it's always worthwhile it's always worthwhile carving out that space for yourself and enjoying it like there's nothing wrong with enjoying it at the end of the day yeah I mean thank you guys so much honestly it was it's so great to hear about obviously like a side of Cambridge that only a certain sector of people know about like I remember speaking to a friend of mine who does a lot of sport and I remember being like oh yeah they were really great like no 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 and they were like she was like, why are you using the plural? And I was like, oh, okay. There's the whole you're just not. That you just don't. Okay, that's fine. No, completely. And I don't know about you, Eliza. I'm so excited for the show. I'm, yeah. I'm so, so hyped. It's so um, sad. I booked Drag Time for the Tit Hall, like, June event last year. And we were so excited. And then, like, Corona hit. So it's so nice to, like, have an online version now. Again, this is just our hack. We just, we haven't paid. Tit Hall can book us again next year. <laughs> yes, do I it. Will, I will be yeah. there. We will. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Our Thank pleasure, you. honestly. Thank you. Thank you. Spread the word, get your tickets, have a really great day, everyone. Yes, they are three pounds. Ticketsource.co.uk slash sad Persephone. You can get your tickets until on the day at 5 p.m. So get them in quick or I'll punch you in the face. Yeah, I'll just I'll um I'll bully people online. Um, That's what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I was just remembering that I punched a cast member twice during rehearsals at the end. <laughs> but it was then. They were just too Hi, close. Jenny, we oh, yeah. miss you, Jenny. Didn't you cause a nosebleed? It did, and I, I was just laughing out of nervousness. Didn't even hit them. That was just how bad the drag was. Like, <laughs> not many can do that. So, get your tickets now. Thank you. Absolutely. And I, I think I can speak for all of us here, all the cast members, where I say that it has that drag time energy, very inclusive. It, it's a space of of mess, joy and fun, but I think we've increased the craziness and the, um, you know, the stupid factor by tenfold, I think. Can we safely say that? I think Amazing. we can. We can. I love it's be we a party. can promise that there won't be another slime gate. And um, diehard fans will remember Augustus Turpentine and, well, that's all I'm going to say. God, I'm, I'm so upset that Augustus Turpentine is in the show. That is a brain fart of an idea that has haunted me for years. I'm so upset the way that that's taken off more than my own drive. I'm very tired, if you can't tell from this. It's my lot to bear in life. 
But um, <laughs> this event, there's so many great posts and trailers and we'll see you there. It is, I think, I've always invited my friends and stuff to shows because I'm like, please come, like, join. You know, even if I'm like not fully securing myself or whatever with the show, but this, I'm like, get your tickets. It is great. I can wholeheartedly say I'm very proud of the work we've done, the work I've done. I'm okay with Ryan's drag. I feel whole positive. Yeah. If my grandparents are coming to watch, none of you have any excuse. Yeah. My therapist is watching. My therapist is watching. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but there's a song that is going to compromise our relationship. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we are working on closed captions and transcripts and things like that for accessibility. So we would like, you know, this show to be friendly for absolutely everyone, apart from Charlene. Everyone's welcome. Yes. And oh, alongside the exclusion of Charlene, I think that <laughs> there is genuinely like um, a love letter to drag but like the drag that all of us do and the drag that isn't necessarily what we're fed as being like the right way to do drag because there is a right way to do drag and I think yeah for well I don't want to speak for everyone but I think I can in saying that it actually despite how much we are horrible to Charlene and each other outside of Charlene we actually like all care about drag and each other a lot and doing this show has been like a way to celebrate how passionate we are about it and passionate we are about making sure that inclusive drag of all kinds survives yeah i'm very agreeable with that and i think with the drag race climate i think because that's some people's only exposure to drag and drag race is ever changing and it's just getting much more harder and much more you know it, it's for the hetties now straight people watch it and, and that's kind of their version of dragon and it, i think it takes the queerness and the punkness away from it of course drag race queens are valid but i don't think there should be one way to be a drag performer so if you see a lace front wig that's you know got some gaps in it near the hairline it's yeah, punk. It's, it's not lazy if you see messy yeah. makeup it's punk it, it's <laughs> intense <laughs> Yeah, no, always intentional. it is intentional. If you're getting on God's internet to cuss out someone for like having their hairline showing or for drawing a scar on their face and calling that that, like when they change character, don't like free advice, just don't enjoy it, sit back, think about you know, okay, what is this doing different? And if you really don't like it, then please direct all your hatred towards Charlene because <laughs> she's more than the rest of us. We're very proud. And unlike RuPaul, we all want to see some HM. <laughs> I do not. Thank you guys so much. This has been amazing. Yes. Thank you. That was just about coping. We're going to link to their event on all of our socials because you guys really need to make sure that you get your tickets. Honestly, cannot recommend that more. We had so much fun chatting to them and it's going to be such an amazing time and we thought it was the perfect way to round off our episode. So we hope that you guys have enjoyed hearing about the past the present and the future of LGBT history and also the LGBT scene in Cambridge. And we're really looking forward to next week continuing looking at the future with an episode all on postgrads. If you've got any stories of being a postgrad in Cambridge, whether that be being a master's student coming up from your undergrad or a PhD coming in from abroad, or even just what it's like to be a supervisor, and watching us little undergrads act like we have problems, then drop us a message. We'd love to hear them. And thank you for tuning in. I guess we'll see you again this time next week.
This week, we're showcasing music by Aidan Tullock, who is a third year English student at Christ's. We're going to play the first song in his 2020 album, Somewhere Without Lights. You can listen to this and more of his music on Spotify. This is Milk and Orange Juice. Chances are you'll never kiss them again. Yeah. 